In this episode of the Locked On NBA Big Board Podcast, my co-host, Leif Tulene, is going to share his latest big board. Now, he's posted it on Twitter, but you only get like 140 characters on Twitter. Now he gets an opportunity to explain why he has players ranked where he has them and why there are some guys that he's a little bit lower on and the guys that he's higher on. Stay tuned to hear Leaf's big board. Big, big shout out to each and every person that has made the Locked On NBA Big Board Podcast your first listen of the day. And this episode is brought to you by the Ultimate Basketball GM. If you have ever dreamed of becoming an NBA GM, I know I have. And if you've ever dreamed about managing your own basketball franchise, then this game is definitely for you. To download the game, all you have to do is visit the ultimatebasketballgm.com. Look it up on the app stores, and if you are a Locked On listener, which you are because you've heard this, you get a 100% free boost to your franchise when you are using the promo code Locked On, and it has to be in all caps, L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N, all caps in the game. I'm your host, Rafael Barlow, the director of scouting for NBA Big Board and the founder of NBA Draft Junkies, which I've said it before, it's making a comeback very, very soon putting together a, a team of writers, and like I mentioned in the open, my co-host for today is Leif Tulane. Leif, you got a break. No college basketball. Well, there's the NIT, and then the Jazz don't have any home games for the next few days. So what what are you doing with all your free time? I'm playing ball. I'm, I'm enjoying a little to break and playing ball myself. I need to get back into it. I keep saying it. First of all, I need to go, and this makes me sound so old, but I need to go get like a back alignment. My back is out of line, and so it's like my one foot hurts more than the other because I'm just I'm just out of whack. But I need to start playing more. I need to get in shape. But I'm over 40, and a lot of my peers over 40 are playing, and they're tearing Achilles and tearing their ACLs, and I cannot afford to get injured like that and I know I'm not the type that's gonna stretch and do all the stuff that I need to do and it makes me sound so old I just never thought I'd, I'd get to this point where I got to do all the stretching I, I never want to be the the old dude at the court with the gym bag that's smelling like icy hot <laughs> but I need to get back into it maybe I start off playing like three on three against some uh some middle schoolers that I can post up because really I just need it for cardio a fair that's a fair way to do it i i've i haven't had this much time to play basketball in quite a while so the last uh, i played sunday night and today and I've been shooting it well so I'm, I'm pretty happy see my game never i never i'm like the guy that uh, my career ended prematurely because i never made adjustments so i used to be like the fastest guy out there so i used to just blow by guys and i never really was a shooter especially off the catch and now the times I've tried to play and I can't get by anybody, I'm like Mark Jackson now. Just I just got to be like this game manager. And I played with Richard Stamen earlier this summer, like right right when um, when my son was a newborn. That was fun. I was kind of getting into playing a little bit of 21 and 303. Oh, man, then I stopped playing. So anyway, let, let's talk about your big board. So you released it, was it, so it was late last week. Uh, March 23rd. March 23rd. So, okay, about five days ago. 
And I saw some of the commentary on Twitter, but you know, on Twitter, you only get 140 characters and you can't reply to everyone. So let's just go from top to bottom and we'll, we'll see where, where we end up. All right. So who is number one on your big board? Is it a surprise? No, no surprise for me. I've got Victor Wenbanyama one. I I'd be very stunned if he changes spots for me and, Complete package, obviously, the concerns that everyone has typically rely on health, and I'm predicting health. I, I think it's it's uh, certainly something you want to evaluate when you draft him, see if there's any precursors that you need to be worried about. But to my knowledge, he's healthy, and and he's very impressive as a player. I, I mean, I've compared him to like a, a Jaron Jackson Jr., but better, and that's an all-star defensive player of the year candidate type of guy, and like I said, but better. Um, and so I, I'm, I remain really high on Victor Wembanyama. Yeah, he's been healthy all year. That was kind of like the concern going into the year. And that's why, and I know teams were telling his agent or asking him to shut it down. And he's played, he's even played in the, in the World Cup qualifiers. Now he is only playing once a week in the French league. So it's not like he's playing in the Euro league where he's playing in the, the domestic league and then the Euro league. And sometimes you can end up having like three games in a week. So um, he has been healthy, but I don't know if you've like read and like, I think it was in Sports Illustrator or ESPN. They have like this crazy schedule for him where I think he's supposed to get like 11 hours of sleep a night. Like they've had this long term plan for his health for years. I mean, like the stretching of his toes and I'm friends with his agent. And he he told me years ago that they've been working on his landing just so he can he can uh, jump up and, and land and and make sure that he's landing correctly and his flexibility. And I know they sent him out to work with Dirk's trainer. And I used to watch Dirk work out at Mavs games early. And he used to stretch, like do some weird stretches. And then people would tell me Dirk would stretch for like an hour. And he played like 20 years. And you can say Dirk was pretty durable in his career. So they do have a great long-term plan for Victor. And I want to talk about it in another episode and it was an article that I read in ESPN a few months. No, it was a few years ago where they talked about a lot of the American kids are like ticking time bombs with their bodies because they're playing so much AU. And one of the examples they gave was like Julius Randle on the first play of his first few minutes of his NBA career jumped and his leg snapped and it was a non-contact injury. And you're just starting to hear so many different stories about Kids not playing other sports, only playing one sport, overuse of their their limbs. I actually was on a panel a few weeks back, and this was a strength and conditioning coach for a, a major program. And he had mentioned that if you're a kid or you're a teenager, you shouldn't do more than 17 hours a week of physical training. Anything more than that can lead to overuse. So I said I have to say this. One of the things that Wimbenyama's camp has done is – make sure that he's not being overused and we'll, we'll see if it, if it plans out but they do have a long-term plan which I can honestly say I don't know if there's a lot of parents that have a long-term plan for their highly touted prospect to be able to to remain healthy in his prime all right number two so this is kind of it depends kind of where the draft starts now it used to start at three but now it's a you know, it's an it's a possibility it starts at number two. And who's number two on your list? I've remained steadfast with with Scoot Henderson at two. Uh, I, I understand he's had some of those injury and the ticking time bomb 
that that's been a bit of noise on Twitter and in draft circles talking about how Scoot Henderson's uh, been oft injured this year. But I can't unsee the explosion, the power, the ability to get to spots that he's able to create. And uh, the more I watch him play, and I, I actually recently watched a game to to watch City Sissoko, and I, I, rem- I came away impressed with Scoot's vision. Um, and, and I hadn't really had that as an interpretation because I knew he could get to spots and create by just being fast. But I thought I thought it was impressive the way he was able to kind of understand the grasp of the offense and orchestrate it. And I have no doubts that when he's healthy and hopefully stays healthy, that he can get to the rim. And I think his jump shot, despite the percentages, is is better than people are giving it credit for. What do you think about the last half of the season? I mean, you're a little disappointed, but I said this a lot about Jaden Hardy, and I think it rings true about Scoop. When you're about 18 years old and you know you're you're that guy, but you're playing against grown men who have played in the league that are McDonald's All-Americans, and they're kind of more better orchestrated rosters um, that, that are, you know, trying to win every game and believe they should win every game. Like he's opposing and he's the main guy on his team. I expect the percentages to be lower. Um, you'd, ex- you'd hope it's higher, but, but I kind of have that in my mind as uh, I temper expectations for percentage and counting stats when they're in the G league. Yeah. The G league is tough to evaluate. I'm, I've heard several NBA scouts tell me that it's still new. It's only year number three. I saw today that in the last eight games, he was 15 points per game, 39% from the floor, and 27% from three. And then he shut it down. All right, who is number three? Number three for me, I've got Brandon Miller. I've I've bounced back and forth between he and Amon Thompson multiple times this season. Um, as I'm reading what I posted on the 23rd, I think I have Amon Thompson, but uh, – Splitting hairs. I'll give the rationale for both. Uh, Brandon Miller, I we talked about this briefly this weekend about how his poor performance in March Madness really is is making people disappointed. But like I said then, and I'll continue to say, I was impressed with the way he was able to be a decoy, continue to play defense, rebound, facilitate. Shots will fall. I, I have the ultimate faith that a guy like him, a guy like Jason Tatum, Paolo Bencaro, when they miss shots, it's because they're taking shots they can make. He, he just happened to miss them in a big game, which obviously don't love but i i still believe that he can make them uh the fact that he was defending and rebounding at the rate that he was against physical teams impressed me and lastly i i think with nba spacing this is something we're over um we kind of aren't putting up enough eyes on is that even though alabama shoots a lot of threes they still have a couple non-shooters and he navigates that well and creates space in a in a compact environment. Like Noah Clowney shoots about twenty seven percent from three, mm-hmm. and and he typically plays with Pringle or Bediaco, and they don't shoot threes at all. And so I, I really believe that with NBA spacing, uh, that he could get even more creation and separation than he was able to do at Alabama, which was already impressive. Yeah, I I talked to some scouts and, and asked them how did his poor tournament impact how they felt and he had like a historically bad uh NCAA tournament like it was like I forgot the stat but it was like it, it was the worst ever for anyone who's shot 35 field goal attempts okay and I think the stat I saw was 40 but 35 40 attempts yeah it was bad so uh, and I'll just read some of the stuff that scouts told me one scout says he had a terrible showing but I wouldn't overreact last year Jabari talking about Jabari Smith 
was three for 16 against Miami and Ivy, talking about Jaden Ivy, had an awful game against St. Peter's where he had six turnovers. Another scout mentioned Cade Cunningham had a terrible NCAA tournament, and he said he still went number one, but in a redraft, I'm just kind of reading it here, but he says in a redraft, he doesn't think Mobley, you know, he thinks there is a chance that that Cade wouldn't go number one, as some people would take Mobley, but he was basically talking about Kate settled for bad threes in the tournament and Miller was worse. Um, it was it was another one that basically just says, no, if you've liked what you've seen all year, you shouldn't let the tournament dictate um how you feel about about a player. I've always thought I could be a great NBA GM, and it turns out that it's not that easy, but it turns out that there is an opportunity that I can be in a game. And if you've ever had the same thought about being an NBA GM and managing your own basketball franchise, well, now you can do it at the Ultimate Pro Basketball GM, and you can do it right now. The game allows you to manage every strategic aspect of a franchise from playing through seasons and leading your franchise and your fans to glory as you build a historic dynasty. In the simulation, you are responsible for dealing with the challenging personalities from the coaches and the players, from hiring the coaches and the assistants, training and trading players, making draft picks, and navigating your franchise through free agency and the draft and all the ups and downs in multiple seasons. All of this in a challenging and realistic game world, the ultimate pro basketball GM is completely free. It is playable offline. You can go play on the go, and you can play when you want to. So you, as a Locked On listener, you will get a 100% free boost for your franchise when you are using the promo code Locked On in the game store. So make sure you check it out. To download the game, just visit probasketballgm.com, scan the code, or look it up on the app stores. That is probasketballgm.com, the ultimate basketball GM. So start your dynasty today. All right, second segment. Talked about Scoot Henderson at number two, Brandon Miller at number three, and who's number four? Uh, I got Amon Thompson number four. I've alternated between he and Brandon Miller three and four. So if you've seen a rendition where I've I had it the opposite, that's probably why. Uh, Amon Thompson to me is similar to Scoot Henderson the way he puts pressure on the rim, and he's a paint walking paint touch. He's got good vision, top tier athleticism, and in a league where it's hard to evaluate how good the talent truly is, and he's an older prospect. I feel like his athleticism and ability to progressively make good reads is something that I, I, I think you can value, um, that he's not only dominating off athleticism, he gets to the paint, and then he makes smart reads. Shooting isn't beautiful by any stretch of the imagination, but if you can get to the rim as, as he does and he works on his pick-and-roll game uh, with NBA players in summer league and beyond, obviously, I, I really buy his upside as being a very good two-way player and someone that its offense is untapped and his defense could be phenomenal. Okay. All right. The jump shot. I know you touched on it briefly. And I know you're a Herb Jones guy, and, you know, the Herb Jones shot 7%. Do you think that he'll at least be league average from three, which is league average is about 36%, which, you know, if he gets to that, he's going to be phenomenal. But do you think there is a chance that he can get to around the league average? The concern I have with saying yes is that I think he'll take them off the dribble, which will lower his average. Because you think I think he'll take he'll threes be... off the dribble? 
Well, I, I think he'll have to because teams will play off and he'll kind of have to make that adaptation like Jaw did, where when people go under the screens to pay respect to your speed, you have to make them pay. So I'll say I think he can. I, it may be a, a few years in the NBA, but I think he can be effective nonetheless. Do you have a comparison? Uh, not really. I mean, everyone always floats around the six, seven John Morant and I can see some validity to that, but I, I'm not ready to throw that one out yet. I see. I looked it up. Josh shot 33% from three as a rookie. I think mm-hmm. you would gladly accept that yeah. out of Amin Thompson. It was down to 30% from deep in his second season. And then in year number three, he was at 34%, which you know, which I mean, with his speed, thirty-four percent is not bad. I mean, it's not—it's below league average, I believe. But I mean, you have to—you have to respect it. And this year, he's down to thirty-one percent again. So it's like his three-point percentage is is fluctuating. So, I mean, you're talking about John Morant, who is, yeah, I think before this whole situation, he was going to be all NBA. Averaging what twenty seven point six rebounds, eight assists per game. If Amin is a bigger John Morant and he's a thirty two percent shooter from deep in four years, that's a win. Yeah, no, no doubt about it. And that kind of takes me to my my fifth player. It's his twin brother Osar, and I think this is kind of where it becomes controversial. Where who you got kind of five through nine. Um, Osar, my pitch is, and I've said this before on here and I've said it on Twitter, a lot of people are evaluating him as a two-guard. I evaluate him as a point guard that's playing out of position. And the fact he's able to do so kind of seamlessly impresses me. The fact that his shot mechanically looks like it's improving and defensively he's a monster. I buy that he can be immediately an impactful player and I think there's a far higher ceiling than some evaluators see for him because I think he can play the point guard and yeah, be on I, ball, which mitigates the lack of three-point shooting. Yeah, I think so too. I think there is a, a chance that he could be the point. I think people have put him in a box as a wing, which I think he can be a wing playmaker. I don't think there's that much of a, a difference between him and his brother as far as as the passing I personally can't tell them apart that much. Like there are some people who at least they claim that they can just tell them apart. They move differently. I think if they switch jerseys, I don't know if I'd be able to to tell. Um, but yeah, it'd be interesting to see wherever he goes if that particular team sees him as a point guard as opposed to to like a, a wing. The shooting is a little bit better. It looks better, but it just doesn't go in which is kind of like the opposite of a guy like Keontae George. Keontae George's shot looks beautiful, and it doesn't go in at a high rate. Same for Coleman Hawkins. I think Coleman Hawkins has a good-looking shot, and it just doesn't fall. All right, so we are finished with your top five. All right, who is number six? I'm sticking with the athleticism theme here. I got Cam Whitmore from Villanova as my number six. Uh, My top six have not changed players. It's been the same six all year long and uh but they have changed slots cam whitmore for those of you who don't know and many of you who listen to this do uh he had a hurt thumb to start the year started slowly playing on a kind of makeshift villanova team that wasn't a typical villanova team by the end of the year he was a large contributor on a team that was largely improved 
His athleticism is really, really impressive. I've likened him to Miles Bridges of the Charlotte Hornets, and I think he's better than Miles was as a sophomore Michigan State as a freshman at Villanova. And Cam Whitmore's jump shot is pretty. There's some nitpicking I could do, such as when he dry when he goes right, he's driving. When he goes left, he's shooting a jumper. Um, but I think there's a lot of raw, untapped potential and and shot making ability that that is there, and it has been displayed. He's just got to refine some of the rough edges. Yeah, I recently went back, and I'm on my third round of film watching, so I'm starting all the way over from each prospect. And I'm watching their film. And so I, I end up watching his and I've bumped him up higher than what I've had him all season. I think that what could really help him out, which he wasn't used at Villanova, I think that in the NBA, if you're a creative coach, you can play him at the three and the four and you can use him as a role man. And I think if you use him as a role man with spacing, that's just another another weapon that I mean that he adds I'm still not a hundred percent sold on the shooting right away I mean I think he'll eventually be be a good shooter still not a hundred percent sold right away on on the shooting touch because sometimes it looks it, it looks he has some bad misses but I think he can develop and then he's young he's only 18. all right when we return we will round out we'll, we'll probably end up stopping at 10 just for the sake of time. Let's talk about FanDuel because we are down to the final four and we still have a few weeks left in the NBA season in the playoffs. And there's not a better place to get in the action than FanDuel, which is America's number one sports book. And right now, FanDuel is giving new customers a no sweat first bet up to $1,000. That is up to $1,000 back in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Just go to FanDuel.com slash locked on and sign up today to claim your no sweat first bet. Then you can wager on everything from the money line to the point spreads to which team will be cutting down the net. It's all on the app. It's safe. It's secure and easy to use. So do not miss your shot at a no sweat first bet up to $1,000 when you join FanDuel today. Just go to FanDuel.com slash locked on to sign up. Make every moment more with FanDuel. All right, last segment, we left off with Cam Whitmore. All right, who is next on your list? Number seven for me is Jarius Walker. Um, he's someone that he and the guy who, who follows him, I've rotated between those two spots, and I've also had Anthony Black uh, kind of around that area before as well. Uh, Walker, to me, impressed me by – doing the little things exceptionally well at Houston for a team that was veteran oriented as a freshman. He had a large impact on winning, which I really buy as an important factor for one success. And I, you've mentioned this, I've heard this in, in broadcasts that you, you don't know what he can do until you watch him in practice. And I think you started getting a taste for what he could do, passing the ball and uh, kind of creating for himself and others late in the season and even in the tournament against Miami in a loss, he shot poorly, he shot four of 16, but he was able to make reads that were impressive. He just missed some shots. Um, and I also thought he was a better shooter than I anticipated he would be coming into the season, ending about 35%. And uh, I think he can be a league average shooter, physical specimen, someone that's got more offensive uh, tools than, than he displayed in his repertoire. And defensively, he can be a, rota uh, a guy who rotates between Two through five, probably. Yeah, I can see that. 
I'm still not <laughs> sold on the shot. All right. He shot 66% from the foul line. And when I watched him shoot, I mean, the volume of attempts, it, it's not incredibly low. It's like, what, 2.8, a little less than three attempts per game. But yeah, I'm just not 100% sold on the shot. But I think that he will develop into a, a reliable shooter. He has good touch around the rim, which is kind of weird. At one point in the season, he was like below average according to like synergy on like touch shots around the paint and then as the season went on you saw them run some post plays for him and I think he has really good touch off his left shoulder like a little right hand baby hook so he does show like a softer touch around the rim but if I feel like once he gets further out it's like a hard shot right I saw him miss a couple where he just hit like nothing but backboard so it's not a soft shot but I mean, it still went in at a 35% clip, but I'm I'm still not 100% sold on it yet. Um, do you think the free throw percentage or the three-point percentage is more of an indicator of his touch, or do you feel it's somewhere in the middle? Typically, I lean free throw percentage. In his case, the fact that he shot that well on a team that was very like built through seniors, uh, meaning that his uh, reps as a spot-and-catch-and-shoot, uh, spot spot-up shooter – uh, we're kind of like every now and again and takes away rhythm. I actually buy his shot more than I anticipated believing in it. Uh, so, yes, I'll, I'll lean a little more to the three-point side, which is rare for me. I almost always lean towards free throw. And this is why I'm concerned. So if you look at like the game-by-game <clears throat> game numbers, it was not good. And then he had a stretch in the season where he went two for four, three for six, and four for five. It's a three-game stretch. And I think that has carried his percentage. Other than that, you see one for four, one for four, one for six, 0 for two, two for six, 0 for two, one for three, 0 for one, 0 for three, one for two. So it's really like three games that have heavily carried his percentage. So that's why I'm a little, a little skeptical. He he's been pretty good in against quality opponents that play like more of pack line defenses, namely Virginia, where they kind of dare you to shoot over the top and he was one able to dare to do it and two made him. Um, so I think that kind of rings in my head that if he's the dare shooter, he'll make you pay. He's never going to be a, a, a beautiful shooter in my opinion, but I think he's going to be serviceable. Yeah. As long as it goes in, like I said, Keontae George has a beautiful shot and it just was not necessarily going in. So are we at number eight? Yeah. Number eight, I've got Gigi Jackson from South Carolina. He's a, a guy I've had in my top 10 all year. I, I just can't unsee the the ability to create space at such a young age. He's mature beyond his years. He's got, to my eye, a pretty good work ethic as well. Like you could see a guy who is on this team where his team is not good. He's thrust an enormous uh, burden to carry on his shoulders. Some games he really struggled, but I, I liked his motor. I liked the way he can create space. I think he can be a two-way guy that has – just about as much potential as anyone outside of the top two, three to be an all-star and, and a perennial one at that. So will he be two to be determined, but I think he's got the capacity to be. You are the only guy I feel like in the world that has Gigi higher than what I have. I've seen him as low as like 26. I think um, the athletic had, had their mock and they had him really, really low. If you watch Gigi's clips, right? So sometimes what I'll do is, and I guess I'm giving out my secret. So when I watch Synergy and I watch it in waves, so what I'm doing now on my third wave is 
I'll watch the makes, right? Mm-hmm. And I'll just watch the guy's makes, and then I'll write down my notes because I guess, you know, the makes tell you what they can do. And I, I heard a scout say, uh, it was a story, a scout, I guess he was pitching prospects to Chuck Daly, and they just had all the negatives, and Chuck Daly was like, what can he do? Just tell me what can he do, and then we'll figure the rest out. So that's what I'm doing on my third wave of watching film. I watch the makes, then I watch like the misses and then the turnovers, and then I just kind of watch it all together and then just come up with an assessment. If you go to Gigi Jackson's Synergy and you just watch his makes, you are going to be blown away with the shot creation, the ball handling, the step backs, the pull-ups. I mean, he's got some shots in the post. I mean, it, his arsenal is incredible. I have him as a lottery pick. I just watched the McDonald's game, and I'm thinking, like, all right, if Gigi was in this game, okay, he'd be the best player to me. I yeah. think he would be the number one pick in 2024. A lot of people aren't as high on him. And then even when I watch, like, or I look at Grady Dick, all right, and I'm like, all right, best case scenario, what is Grady Dick? All right, best case scenario, what is Gigi Jackson? Okay, I'm going to put Gigi over Grady Dick. So I'm glad I'm not the only one that is super high on Gigi. All right, so who is number nine? Uh, Real quickly on Gigi, I'd be appalled, absolutely flabbergasted if he falls out out of the top 15th. Like if he falls to where he's in some mocks, I'd be stunned. People are going to see him in a workout, what he can do, like you mentioned, and he's going to be a lottery pick. I feel confident in saying that. Um, As for number nine, right now I'm I'm going back and forth between two SEC point guards. I've got Cason Wallace at nine right now, and 10 is Anthony Black. Um, As for Cason Wallace... Defensive chops are kind of what he's lauded for. Uh, people really like the way he can uh, control the point of uh, defense. He's able to get to his spots offensively, which I, I've been impressed with in big games. He's kind of taken over later in the stretch of, you know what, I can get to my spots and score while still being an effective defender. Uh, he's a guy that three-point percentage I think is higher than he than he is as good a shooter as he is, like, I think that might be a little bit of a misnomer, but not by too much. And I think that he's a guy that knows his role. Like he's never going to be someone that's going to lead your team in scoring, but he's going to be a defensive pest, someone who can anchor your defense and give you 17 points a game at some point in his career, I believe. And I also, it's hard not to look at Kentucky's guards and how they perform in the NBA and, and say, you know what, like, <laughs> is, is he going to do that? And, and I kind of imagine he'll, he'll be able to do the same thing. All right, so people may think I'm crazy here. So I watched all Kaysen's film and his clips, and then I looked at the stats. So he shot 59% on pull-up jumpers inside of 17 feet, which was... Jump stops beautifully. Right, which was, I forgot, it was in like the top 95 percentile in the country. And people are going to think I'm crazy here, and I'm pretty sure I'm going to get some comments. When you watch Kaysen, do you see a smaller version of Kawhi Leonard? And the reason I'm saying it, is uh, I, I see what you're saying. It's not flashy. It's like he gets to, especially on the pull-ups, he's get to a spot, jump stop, pull up, defender, quick hands. You know, you're not going to get a bunch of highlight reel plays. It is just very steady. There's not a lot of expression on his face. It's just he gets to his spots, pulls up. Good shooter. I I do think the the shooting is I think it is 
good, right? And I know at one point this year, he had like some weird splits. It was like 50, 50, like 59 or something like that. I'm, I'm making it up. But the free throw percentage was really low. And then they kind of started to even out. But he shot a respectable percentage from three. But it, it comes off easy. It, it really mm-hmm. comes off easy, which is kind of shocking to me. And I, I mentioned to you before, and I've you know been filming him since he was a kid. He wasn't allowed to shoot outside of the paint until I think he was like 13 years old, something like that. But I, I see, and I'm not saying that he's going to be as good as Kawhi, but I see someone that is not flashy, gets to his spots, pulls up over the top of defenders, makes mid-range pull-ups, can make threes, and is going to be a really good defender. But I talked to an NBA scout, and this is weird. I talked to an NBA scout that had Kaysen as a top 10 pick, but he did not think he was a starter. He thought he was like a DeAnthony Melton type. And he was like, there's real value in that. And he said that this year's draft, he doesn't think there's many stars in this draft. He thinks every team has their guy. And all teams are looking to do is find pieces that fit around their guys. He's like, even if you look at the worst teams, if you look at Houston, they have their guys. If you look at Orlando, they have their guys. I mean, what's another bad team? Detroit, they have their guys. Cade, Durant, or whatever. Ivy. So he's like, you're just looking for pieces that fit around those guys. And he said that Kaysen can fit around any guy. And only team that you can probably think that he could come in that's going to be in that range and be their starting point guard, Washington. The Jazz, maybe. And Jazz. And if I guess yeah, the Jazz should have two picks. So yeah, I, I like Casey. I actually have him as my first college player. I think yeah, I think I you know you know like you you do a mock, it changes. Uh, uh, other than Brandon up. Miller, other than Brandon Miller, my out of the guards, I should say the first guard off off the board. All right, so we at number ten. We're at number ten, and uh, this is a guy that has a lot of similar attributes to Casey, and that's Anthony Black. Someone who can defend the point of attack. He, Kaysen gets to his spots really well. Um, Anthony Black is not quite that same way, but he's a walking paint touch. He gets the nail at will and he makes good decisions. He was hampered by a team that could not shoot at all from three. So teams were really sucked in and keyed in on his penetration. So I think Anthony Black will thrive with NBA spacing. I know certain teams are uh, interested in his skill set and think he could play 20, 25 minutes a game already just because of the, with the intensity he plays, he rebounds, he defends, he facilitates. And despite his shooting like struggles, quite frankly, he was still an effective offensive player. Like Arkansas couldn't function offensively without him on the court. Uh, he shot 71% from the free throw line, 30% from three. And form-wise, it's not great. But I, I buy the athleticism more than I thought I would at the beginning of the year. I think defensively, he's not far behind Kaysen, quite frankly, as point of attack defenders. Uh, and the, the reason I lean Kaysen just a touch ahead of him is, is just like you said, he gets to his spots and he's a great mid-range shooter. And I think he knows who he is uh, no matter the team, whereas Anthony Black will have an adjustment to make as a kind of a supplementary score as opposed to a guy who's counted on to score at Arkansas. And I'm curious to see how he adapts to that. Yeah, I have Black at number seven. And like you said, the first two or three are pretty much the same, or the first five, and then maybe, depending on your board, five through ten is all jumbled and scrambled, and I I go up and down. What's crazy is we got 
a, a good ways to go between now and the draft. And the games are done. I don't know how much my big board is going to move in the next few weeks unless you're just going by Intel or I'm watching the guy work out. So I don't know. I mean, my big board might be set. Uh, I'm still working on it. Well, that wraps up this episode. We got to number 10. We did Leafs top 10, but we will probably come back another time this week and we'll, we'll get to the first round and maybe even finish out the lottery. Thank you, the listener, for making the Locked On NBA Big Board podcast your first listen of the day. Now, for your second listen, you have to check out the Game to Game podcast, Locked On Game to Game. Basically covers every game from across the NBA, every top result, every performance with local analysis that only we can deliver. So follow Game to Game on the Locked On NBA channel. It's available on the Odyssey app, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Rafael Barlow, and Leaf Tulane just dropped off his top 10 prospects, and we are out. Yeah,